I am loving that this show is not dwindling in its potency and ability to surprise, arouse, and terrify. Yeah, I'm like I said, I'm ready for episode four. What's that behind I you? Have a What's that behind you? Ah! What's your question? Well, I was just going to ask Lord of the Lies. I wonder if the kids know that reference. I feel like that might have been on the banned book list. Remember they just banned all those books like a year ago? I don't know nothing about that, but clearly for purposes of the title, yes, it is a take on Lord of the Flies. Yeah, I know that. I'm just... When you say the kids, you mean people listening to this podcast? No, like... You're choosing the end of this episode to ask a very, very dimensionally complicated social education crisis. Yeah. You want to spend this time right now to solve it. (laughs) I don't know what the kids are reading. Hell, I've asked everyone that I know, do you read a book? Do you read books? Half the people I know don't read books at all. They don't read anything. And the second half, they don't read paper books with actual binding. They read the shit on the computer, the Nook book, the Kindle, the whatever the fuck. Okay, well, forget I asked it and let's go eat pizza. You and pizza. Pizza, pizza. I got nightmares in my head, I fear That the thoughts build up until I can't hear That my mind fills up into a creature And it haunts me somewhere much deeper Dreamy Screamers Nightmares are made of these Who is for Ghostface to take a knee? Daisy Bell, do you think that Scream the TV series is still going strong even after that mammothly mesmerizing intro and the first subsequent episode hello emma do you think that now that we are on the third slice of scream blood red velvet confection cake that the episode is still holding your interests and awing and astonishing you hell yeah i think this episode is full of a lot we learn a lot we experience an emotional roller coaster throughout the whole episode, and there's lots going on. I just, I just feel like this episode is packed. So so far, absolutely, I'm here for the whole thing. The following dialogue takes place between Piper Shaw and Noah Foster, the real, genuine, real McCoy, bona fide, authentic Noah Foster, but spoken by here and now the Noah Foster imposter. Piper Shaw starts us off. So, Noah Foster, do you think that Brandon James just snapped that night? Nobody just snaps. I mean, a bomb doesn't become a bomb when the wick is lit. So, if Tyler O'Neill is behind the mask and the gif, is this an homage? Cue the violin, the scream, the TV series theme music. Noah Foster finishes us out. In my humble opinion, nobody puts on a mask and commits a murder like that just once. The real question is, who's next? Dun dun dun! Welcome to Rooftops and Patio Scars. Hello, dreamy screamers. Welcome to Faux Ghost Face, an episodic autopsy companion series to Scream, the TV series, seasons one and two. And when we get to the end of season two and the Halloween special, we will then be through with Faux Ghost Face. The TV series, which premiered on MTV, i.e. Murderous Television, MT, where we scalpel deep and surgically critique this shamelessly delectable guilty party pleasure. Why is it a guilty party pleasure, Daisy Bell? Because this is a 
apropos show to watch in the company of your friends or a large cluster of a congregation. Yeah, but I don't feel guilty. Just saying. Neither does Faux Ghostface. Today we will cut a devilishly delectable slice of the Scream the TV series Carnage Confection with our third Faux Ghostface review of episode three. Wanna play a game? Question mark. It is a bona fide undertaking to locate in the infinite digital sea a shipwrecked treasure of a television show worth pursuing and exploring. Though often proving a dry hole or fool's fucking gold, my tireless quest is occasionally rewarded with the indelible gem of a striking, mesmerizing, entertaining TV treat. Scream, the TV series, carries the torch of that very same treat. The source material, such a treasure trove of valuable, sparkling, brilliantly scripted matter, spoken by comely faces who act well, seem genuine, and their ultimate fates to us matter. You are our dreamy screamers, for you are dreamy in your scream and scream deep within your dreams. We politely ask you to parse and ponder on the following. Is it a dream within a scream or a scream within a dream? Freddy Krueger time! Normally, I would venture to express that a scream within the subconscious confines of a dream would morph into a nightmare, but not here. Here, in your dreamy, dreamlike state, each scream makes you feel alive, for as others may be killed gruesomely at times, you instead shall thrive as you strive to remain alive and to stick with your living human hive. Welcome, dreamy screamers, to Fogo Space, third serving of a kill undeserving. Police station evisceration, luring Riley through texted smiley. Faux Ghostface will make Emma choose which of her two gal pals will their life lose. A surgical mask bound to a sordid past. Branson searches for a picture. The rich seek to grow still richer. Noah's so very riled up on account of Riley. Faux Ghostface lures via distorted smiley. Atop an understaffed police station, Riley succumbs to evisceration. Intrigue blooms between Jake and Will. Jake proves a snake, but Will, will he kill? Branson and Brooke have a web chat. She looks good on screen, a sight far from fat. Will just one die in episode three? Just cause some others survive, don't mean they're home fucking free. Who all dies in this episode? Emma, Piper, Riley, Audrey, Seth, Jake, Daisy, or Violet? Trick, there is no Violet. <laughs> Mayor Maddox or Kieran, Sheriff Hud or Maggie, Licorice Whips, Secret Slips, and Will Belmont's Voluptuous Lips. <laughs> Time for Serialized Killer Trivia. He does have voluptuous lips, yeah. Mm -hmm. They're purple a lot, I feel like, which is kind of weird. They should have, I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking there. When Mr. Branson puts Audrey and Will into a pair for their project, Audrey tells Will not to suggest the pool scene from Wild Things. Nev Campbell, who played Sydney in the Scream movies, also played the part of Susie in that scene and the rest of Wild Things. Oh, I, I didn't know that. I never saw Wild Things. It's basically... It's like a teen... No, it's like B-movie trash. Oh. Is what it is. Well. It's a waste of time. When Emma receives a text from the killer at around the four-minute mark, the caller ID says, Unknown. 
Hello, Emma. Scream, episode three. Want to play a game? Scariest moments. Well, there are a couple of contender scenes. And then we have what I consider to be my scariest moments. Maybe we agree. Maybe we don't. I don't know. Okay. Mine was Brooke in the hotel. The first time I ever watched this, I was extremely nervous that whole entire time. I was just waiting for somebody to pop out, especially once she was finally like handcuffed to the bed. I was like, oh, God. Yeah. I've seen plenty of scary movies. She's like defenseless, helpless, cuffed to the bed, has the eye shade on. I thought for sure she was dead. I really felt the suspense. Also, I did like the sheriff scene. So I think you'll probably... I bet you that's yours. So I'll let you go. I have for the first contender, Brooke alone on a hotel bed. Reminds me of a lyric from Stained. Another sleepless night again. Hotel room's my only friend, and friends like that just don't add up to anything. Thank you, Aaron Lewis from Stained. We appreciate you. We saw Stained live in North Carolina. It's a good time. We saw them way too late in the sense that we should have seen them sooner in our lives, because Stained is absolutely fucking amazing. Break the cycle. Also, the park scene where Sheriff Hud tries to set up a sting operation to apprehend Tyler who at this point is a POI, or person of interest. We have a female cop who looks like Riley. She has a similar silhouette and body style. She walks into this public park bathroom in the middle of the night. There's those fluorescent lights doing that shit where fluorescent lights never work 100% of the time. They're flickering. She makes it all the way to the end of the bathroom stall, looks inside, (gasps) and there's nothing there. And you get the cool scene shortly thereafter where they realize they've been duped, And Sheriff Hud is handed a piece of paper that has a rather adroitly drawn image of faux Ghostface. And it says, try, try, try again, basically. But my favorite scene, as far as the fear factor, the stalking Riley in and around the police station, leading to an alley scene. Now, we've already had one alley scene in episode two, Hello, Emma, where Emma gets chased. But the scene here has the faux Ghostface stalking her, toying with her. She gets to the end of the line, slut, at the end of the alley, realizing that she's totally boxed in, and there's no way out but up. And this killer, taking their sweet time, slow walking, straight towards Riley, bumping their knife, boom, ba-boom, ba-boom, into each one of the fence posts, or the iron rails of the fence. And it is just so fucking suspenseful, and scary. And if you've seen this episode, you know, it is a bloody good time. We begin this episode with a girl running in costume through the woods. Is this in the present? Is it in the past? Is it part of a play? Are they filming a fucking movie? It's hard to know. But very quickly, thanks to a voiceover dialogue between Piper and Noah, you realize exactly what's happening. But for purposes of the scene in and of itself, it's creepy. You've got this girl running through the woods dressed like a wench or something. She meets up with this guy. They both get brutally murdered. Her throat is slit. He gets a broken tree branch through the eye. What you find out, though, and I was thinking as I was watching these costumes, Toga, 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 because I think the guy looks something like a, a Caesar from Rome or some shit. I don't know. But we learn that this is in the past, so it is a recreation, flashback, dramatization kind of thing. Halloween 1994. Now, as this is 2015, this is almost 20 years back in the past. What was your favorite Halloween costume when you were a kid, like in the 90s? It was probably a toss-up between a pirate, because a pirate was always dependable, and I like dressing up like a ninja. 
because I could be completely concealed where all you would see were my brown eyes. <laughs> go ninja, go ninja, go, you know, go the ninja, belt, go. The belt and everything. Like in a black gi with the shoes that don't make any sound. Like boat shoes almost. Or loafers. Mine was Jasmine. Mm. I was the palest Jasmine in the land. And I've told this story so many times, but I grew up in Texas. It was always hot on Halloween. Always. The one year I was Jasmine, of course, we get a freaking cold front. And my mom made me wear a turtleneck below my Jasmine costume. And I was so mad. I mean, we don't need to talk about Jasmine being a pale redhead, but I just really felt like, Mom, you're killing my Jasmine vibes. So, memories. We will make sure to spend more time conversing on Halloween escapades when we get to the Halloween dance episode of this season. Not to mention the two-hour Halloween special, which will take place at the very end of season two. But this is Halloween night, 1994, Lakewood High School. So this is when Emma's mom was attending the school. And these were victims one and two. And you have Noah talking to Piper at the coffee shop where you get the context of this scene. Halloween night, 1994 was a bitch for Dara Aldean and Brett Keener. Victims one and two. Of course, no one knows exactly what their last words were. And you get this great metaphor from Noah. Nobody's just snaps. A bomb doesn't become a bomb when the wick is lit. I love that. It's very articulate and eloquent, and I would expect nothing less from the real Noah Foster. I also took note, Daisy Bell, that Piper is staring at Noah. She is giving him her full attention and audience. She is a captive and captivating audience. We like Piper in these parts of the podcast. Yeah, I like Piper. I've always liked her from the first time we were introduced to her. She's less annoying than Gail Weathers from the Scream film. I will say she's and I like how they updated it. I didn't say this last episode, but I like how they updated it to she has a podcast. She's not a reporter. I guess she's a reporter in a way, but she's reporting on crime for her own gain. And of course, her podcast is called Autopsy of a Crime. She's in the right racket. I need to start doing a podcast on true crime. Just kidding. I will never do that for three reasons. One, it is a oversaturated part of the market. I'm sick and tired of hearing about fucking crime show podcasts. Two. That's not where my passion truly lies, is in old crimes. I don't give a shit. Thirdly, I would say, you need to have a niche. What is the niche with a crime podcast? You're collecting data the same way that all of your amigos or your competition is collecting data. So, I don't know how you really brand that in a really clever and creative way. Particularly after the thousands and thousands of true crime podcasts and cold case podcasts that have come before. This is where it gets into kind of the show melodrama that you would expect to see on Days of Our Lives or something. And yes, this is a horror show, but you gotta allow a little wiggle room for the melodrama and the eavesdropping and the people getting bent out of shape for reasons both justified and unjustified. Emma overhears, because her mom remembers the coroner, and her mom is talking to Sheriff Hud in the morgue, and she overhears that the suicide of Rachel, i.e. Audrey's love of her life, looks staged. And she mentions about how the pig heart was in fact delivered to the Duvall residence. This is where the show has its intrigue and mystery, and there will be many subplots. But make no mistake, the vast majority, if not all of the subplots, are worth your time. They're not just some fool's errand like learning about Dale and Jericho and Dale's stupid little romance with the girl that works at the supermarket. No, no. These are valid subplots. Emma will be angry at her mom over this later. But this is what I think about. So later, Emma will be really hard on her mom and be like, really, mom, because what I heard, you sounded like you were only looking out for yourself. 
This is exactly what is said to HUD that Emma hears. Have you told Emma? Mm-mm. No. Maybe I should. I'm trying to protect her. She's dealing with enough. And it'll bring up questions about my past that I just can't answer. Well, if you ask me, it sounds like her primary and at least half of the mentioned concern was involving Emma. That does not seem like the statement of someone who only cares about themselves. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. I do have to take Maggie's side here. But when we're teenagers, we always blame our parents. So I do think it stays on brand in that way. And Emma doesn't have a father to blame, really. It's just her mom at home with her. So her mom is going to take the brunt of all of her frustration. Plus, Emma has already been slighted by some of her amigas or chicas or compañeros or compañeras. Text is received by Emma from Fogo's face. Morning, sunshine. You and mom had a heart-to-heart yet? This is funny for a couple of reasons. One, her mom was gifted a pig heart. But two, when I first saw this, I thought, oh shit, Fogo's face just heard what Emma heard just now in the autopsy room. But then I'm like, no, it's a fair usage of an expression that has nothing to do with what just happened in the morgue. But it does fit if she was, say, bugged or something, or if the phone malware was just recording everything that was happening. Yeah, it would have worked. But also, like, you have to recall, and this is why, even though it's an MTV show, you do have to pay attention to the dialogue because Faux Ghostface, I think in the prior episode, was mentioning to Emma that she can't trust her mom. Oh, yeah. So, like, bringing it all home. Faux Ghostface has made no short order of suggesting strongly your two-faced friends, your whore of a mother. All of them are going to deceive you, Emma. You are alone on an island, swimming, treading, drowning, in fact. Sorry. I was uh, zoning out there. Yeah, moving on. And so, Brooke Maddox looks good in bright colors. She has very, very pale skin, so much so that you can see the veins in her limbs. But she looks so good in bright colors. I just thought I would say that. Good summer colors. Her mom, Brooke's mom, is on a spiritual retreat. It makes sense. The father, the husband is a mayor, probably has a very demanding job. And he's always immaculately dressed, so he's probably very full of himself. Brooke is the quintessential princess daughter who is given everything she wants materialistically, but really all she wants is her mom, and she does miss her mom. She starts taking a vested interest in the whereabouts of her mother and her mother's mental state. Jake is in the woods. Dun, dun, dun. And it's moments like this that the show so expertly navigates around because whenever a character goes off on their own, particularly in a place where they do not have a good vantage of their surroundings. Aren't you wondering, is this person going to be killed? Yeah. the first. Well, actually, because he has a shovel, the first time I saw this, I was like, what is he hiding? Digging like up something- a body, burying a body, something like that. Right? Yeah. And him and Will have been alluding to, for at least the past two episodes, maybe since the beginning, they've been alluding to this like secret or something's going on that we aren't privy to as the audience yet. And so I remember being suspicious of Jake. Versus scared for him. Well, and it's those sinister subplots that keep things interesting. And remember, you dreamy, dreamy, dreamy screamers. Very little happens in this season or in this show that is not by design. All of the conversations that the characters have, central or otherwise, is paying some sort of tribute or utility towards the plot. But Jake is in the woods. He digs up a film canister, which immediately makes me think of Are You Afraid of the Dark in the episode Midnight Madness. Such a good one. Again, Dreamy Screamers, please check out Are You Afraid of the Dark? The episode Midnight Madness. It is one of the greatest top 10 episodes, possibly even top five episodes. And Are You Afraid of the Dark has no shortage of episodes. I think they have over 85 episodes 
somewhere around there. But obviously Jake was looking for something, or the Jake, and he is not satisfied with finding Bupkis. We get the Oh Wonder song, and it is so lovely. Not only is the song in and of itself amazing, but the way that it is utilized in this episode, where it's hitting some emotional crescendo, and it is a functional portion of the episode, it's just very artistically captured, and I really enjoy it. And again, it's this show that put A Wonder on the map for me, and I knew suddenly who they were. A Wonder did this cool thing where for their very first album, they released one new song a month, I think, oh, until they, until they released all the tracks as individual singles, and then they released the album. I think that's how it went. Well, the whole freaking album's pretty good. Just let it play. Yeah. Just like can... the Stained album, uh, Break the Cycle, it's the same thing. You can just let it play through. So good. But this segues into what Daisy Bell here, and I think is one of the greatest moments in the episode, is we're basically at a wake for Rachel. Well, very few people are there representing Lakewood because one, Rachel did not go to Lakewood. She went to a private school. And two, nobody really gives a shit about Rachel. She was an antisocial cutter and she had a lot of self-esteem issues. So she was kind of a shut-in, but Audrey cared for her. So Emma is at this wake looking out for Audrey. They say an enemy of your enemy is your friend. Well, just because you weren't close with somebody doesn't mean that you don't care about somebody who was. And it takes me back to One Tree Hill where a main character makes a comment that's very clever jake says to lucas because lucas hates nathan and he wonders why anybody could like nathan including Haley or peyton or anyone and jake says well i understand that you hate him but this girl is like your best friend and you really think highly of her and she sees something in nathan so you got to respect that and that's a good point it's it's taken a fairly obvious concept but it's looking at it through a slightly adjusted lens and suddenly when that happens if you're lucky you can achieve clarity Emma follows Audrey up the stairs into the room, Rachel's room, where she was ultimately found hung from the ceiling fan. And Audrey <laughs> is trying to stick her head into like this noose or this belt noose or something in that moment. And they're still playing the old wonder track. Emma's like, Audrey, what the hell are you doing? No. Well, you're immediately thinking Audrey's distraught. She's going to follow in Rachel's suicidal footsteps. No. Audrey freaks out in response and is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was just seeing if it was even possible. And it works because Audrey has not believed 100% from the beginning that Rachel could kill herself. She just did not accept that as plausible because she knew Rachel. So she's been struggling to figure out how this makes sense. So that is a plausible action to take in the eyes of someone like Audrey. So it works. And I also love that Emma immediately tells Audrey right now what she learned in the morgue. Some of these shows, the characters will sit on vital intel for weeks, if it's not months. It's too much melodrama. And it's just yeah. so exhausting. Yeah. So Emma's like, I don't think she killed herself. Boom. Audrey is immediately so pleased by this. She's like, I knew it. I like Emma's dress here. Also, <laughs> this just is a, it's a very subtle thing, but this just shows that the characters have a lot of chemistry, probably off screen as well. But Emma is doing something as she's explaining things to Audrey and Audrey makes a, a visible look with her eye in Emma's direction. And you're wondering, what is it that Audrey just caught? Well, she says, Emma, I know you're up to something because you just did your notorious hair twirl thing. <laughs> and that's funny. You clearly have a chemistry here. And you believe that these two have known each other for a lifetime. We see a trencher. Will is operating a trencher at the Will Belmont farm. He's a country boy. And it's great. This reminds me of Jan in the office when Jan is giving a speech to all the female employees about, we're going to go over guy legalese and, and how men will use sports terms. We are going to use it like second base, things like this. Well, this is a perfect example of that where Jake is pissed at Will because Will is the one who ultimately took the blackmail or the money that was dug up and immediately jake goes red card dude as in red card like if you're given a red card soccer. in soccer you're yeah. fucked mm -hmm. not good 
again, we have this intrigue, the plot thickens. What exactly is happening between Will and Jake? We know some, but not all. But I assure you, this is a show that likes to close loops. So we will get some sort of satisfaction from that subplot. Yeah. And this was about missing money, right? We learned that. And then they're thinking Tyler took it. Well, yeah. Originally, Will was off the hook because Jake was thinking that it was Will and Nina that had something to do with what was buried. I just wonder, did they bury it all together? I mean, how else would everyone know exactly where it was located? I don't know. And I don't know that we know what the money's from or for. We know that they have been blackmailing people all around town. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the mayor will come into it. That's right. Brutally honest. I like this. So this is Brooke talking about she's going to be a new version of herself, Brooke 2.0. Brutally honest, she says, a different shade of mean. And this is the girls chatting in the lavatory again. And we get to see them in the lavatory quite a bit. And of course, every time they are in the high school lavatory, it's just like the original Scream. We get this great dialogue. Riley, Brooke, Riley starts off. Still haven't heard from Noah. Everything was going great on the football field. Then he raced off like the McRib was back. Brooke, he's clearly afraid to make a move. And you're too gorge for these romantic Special Olympics. (laughs) And she says, don't be mean. And that's when you get not mean, brutally honest. It's a different shade of mean. Finally, I think that Emma's skirt is way too yeah, short Yeah, I school. totally agree. I Holy shitballs. I am rarely looking at people's appearance as much as you are, Mr. Leo over there, but totally agree. That definitely came in my brain whenever we were watching this. Probably not comfortable because she's got some thick thighs. Is-esque. She's got some thick thigh-ish. Thick thighs. We have an iPod swap and one concerned cop. Will returns an iPod to Emma that they used like three years prior and they have a summer mix on there. It's a cute scene. This is at Emma's locker. Yeah. And you're wondering, are they going to get back together? Who knows? Kind of up in the air. But we also have Sheriff Hud, who is a concerned cop, and he is doing everything in his power to try to figure out what the fuck has befallen their otherwise peaceful and quaint community. We get this fantabulous exchange in the classroom. One thing I love about Seth Branson is that he takes his teaching seriously, and he always has something meaningful to contribute. This show could have written him as a one-dimensional cardboard cutout character, like in a lot of these horror things where... The adults are just non-existent, right, from the kids' lives. Right. But Branson is always making meaningful contributions to the class. Branson is always making meaningful contributions to the class. And so he says, Aristotle asked, why are we here? What is the meaning of life in the face of death? And then you get Jake. Bet Tyler's wondering the same thing right about now. (laughs) And Seth Branson will not be deterred. He says, thank you, Jake. And then he assigns a group project to all of the class where he's going to pair them up and they are going to pick a film and they are going to do a presentation on it. Great things are happening here because, meanwhile, Brooke decided to play a little titillating game with Branson and told him previously that there was some documentation of her in the classroom that he had better find before the authorities do. He is searching for it while he's giving his lecture, and she just chimes in, looking for something, Mr. B? And his response is just... He doesn't miss a beat. It's pitch perfect. Yeah. We're all looking for something, Brooke. See, desire. That's at the heart of drama. Desire for love power, money. I'm talking about Jason and Medea. Talking about Anthony and Cleopatra. I'm talking about Emma and Kieran. Excuse me? <laughs> They're like, what are, you, what are you talking about? I'm splitting you all into pairs. And then it's great because as the show wastes no time, because it's a 38 minute episode, the subsequent scene is all these people are split into pairs. And they're split into pairs in a way that makes sense for the story. So you have Will and you have Audrey together, who right now are not on good terms. And of course you have Kieran and Brooke, which is going to allow them more reasons to hang out. But I just love this scene. It's kind of cute. It's funny where Kieran's like, you have no idea how utterly unprecedented you are. And Brooke responds, I mean, Emma responds, you can't say things like that. No, you're right. I really can't. So Fault in Our Stars is also a no. 
I mean, cancer kids on top of brutal murder might be a bit much. <laughs> that is some good shit. Also, Kieran gets points here because he makes an X-Files reference when he's talking about Emma May want to take a look at some case files that his dad, the sheriff, Sheriff Hud, has been keeping around the house. So Kieran agrees to go old school X-Files and present her with these documents that talk about Brandon James and they talk about the murders from 1994 because like everyone, Emma's trying to make sense of everything. And so Kieran wiggles it into his advantage where this will allow him to spend more time with Emma because obviously he likes her. Only Noah could pull off the sweater that he's wearing in this yeah, episode. Yeah, he looks great in the sweater. I like it. I also like Brooks. She is narcissistic to an extent, but she's really pessimistic. She's become jaded, I think, primarily because her father has been a politician, I'm guessing, for her entire life. And she says, trust is a campaign promise. Real life, you're either the cat or the mouse. I love that. It's one of the better lines of the episode. And, of course, Noah is so thrilled to bring Riley to what he calls his dragon dungeon. Oh, I love this scene. It's a great scene because this is his Fortress of Solitude. And he makes a reference to a video game called The Last of Us, which is a fantastic video game. It's basically like a movie in video game form. I highly recommend it. I also like Jake's dialogue here when he and Will come to a head where Jake is holding a shovel in a potentially violent manner. And Jake, which I like how they, they only revealed at the very end, but Jake is reaching behind his waist. He has a knife going north to south in his on his belt, the back of his belt loop. And they are getting into this very tense scene at night. And I love when Jake says, do I detect a lack of trust? That is hysterical. It is the ultimate standoff between a shovel and a knife. I choose a shovel, actually. A shovel allows you to I keep would, a distance. Yeah, and it can knock him over the head. Unless he's like Ginsu John Wick with that knife, I would say the shovel has the advantage. But we get the great Creepy Park restroom scene, which we've alluded to. I love the nice try note from Fogo's face. And it's a very good drawing of Fogo's face. It's black on white. It looks very creepy. And he is, or she, is something of a talent. I mean, whoever this motherfucker is clearly knows their way around a pencil, a marker, and some pastels. Brooke is having a nice moment talking to Riley and Emma here. They're all in the police station and they're talking about what we're going to miss about Nina. The killer gives Emma a choice. She can decide who will live and who will die. The bad girl or the good girl. The good girl is Riley. The bad girl is Brooke. Well, Brooke gets to live. Or at least that's the decision that Emma makes to the killer in a text message. I also like that Emma chooses Brooke. And also, it's how she phrases it. She doesn't say, oh, go attack Riley. She says, just don't harm Brooke. I like that she actually makes a decision because in a lot of these programs, the character will be like Hamlet and they won't be able to make a decision. They will be indecisive. Well, I can't. Don't make me choose. Well, then I'll choose for you. That's not what happens. Emma's like, go ahead and take care of Riley because she's closer to Brooke. They're closer friends. Well, I disagree because I think that because she calls Riley to check on Riley. Or, right? And so she's like, in her mind, this is how I read it at least. In her mind, she's like, oh, Riley's okay. So Brooke must be the one he's going after. And that's why she says, don't hurt Brooke. So who knows? But well, that's how I, I took it. I appreciate my interpretation because it would be refreshing to see. I mean, think about it. Okay. Someone has a gun to your head and then they have a gun to some friend that I have that is a seasonal friend. Well, I don't want either one of you to be killed, but I'm not going to have to spend much time. Well, do you kill Red Devil or do you kill Johnny Joe? But what if it was me or Othello? Well, that's just an unfair question because I don't think cats go to heaven. So I'd have to think about it a little bit. But the point is that I always still get to mean she just she's picking Brooke over Riley. Now, Emma does not have an evil bone in her body. She's not malicious. She's not malevolent. But I just really think that she obviously is closer to Brooke than she is Riley. 
Riley was always kind of the third wheel. She is part of their group. She is part of their cluster, their clique. Their well, cabal. and at the end, she goes, I didn't mean to choose. Yep, she chose all right. And she picked the right choice because... She chose wisely. And we were just talking about this the other day. So Riley dies. We, we already know this. You know this because you've seen the episode. Come on, people. But Riley's dead. Do we miss her? Yes. Do we feel bad for Noah? Absolutely. But if the situation was flopped and Brooke is dead, Riley lives, we go on another five, six, seven episodes with Riley and no Brooke, I would feel like that would be more of a stain. It would be a stain on the soul of the show. Because I think Brooke is a more important character, and I think Brooke has a more important character arc. So for me, show writing, they made the right choice. But just because Riley was not of the same caliber as Brooke does not mean that her dying does not feel like a shock. Because not only was Riley a main character, got a lot of screen time, and she was embedded in the coterie of kids, it also happens at a fucking police station, which we will get to right now. Noah almost loses his virginity to Riley. But there's a phone call. It's Tyler. Or is it Tyler? We don't know. Of course not, because Tyler has been missing a head now for like a week. <laughs> the killer is using Riley's sympathy towards Tyler to get her to act. And ultimately, we have a situation where Brooke thinks she's having a rendezvous with Seth Branson. Now question, the messages that led Brooke to the hotel, that's all the killer's doing, right? Seth knows nothing of it. Yeah, that's, that's my impression for sure. Because the killer was originally probably gunning for Brooke. And that's this was, was going to be a brilliant way to, to offer but then the killer gives Emma a choice because the killer would rather see Emma feel like she's responsible, whichever she picks. Also, can we just pause for a moment and ask the question, why did all of the police officers leave the police station? That makes no sense in real life. Well, Lakewood's a small town. My understanding of small towns is you may have like four cops. Also, it is possible there was a cop or two somewhere around, but it's one of those things where you can call it a ex mahina if you want. Or do S Machina, but it's the situation where the killer wants Riley dead, so she's going to die. This killer has already shown that they are extremely resourceful and enterprising. We will miss Riley's flick references and smiles. I understand why Riley is chosen, but she was so darn innocent. But she also is a minority. She is Chinese and Indonesian in real life. This pays tribute to the ongoing criticism that, in so many cases, a minority is the first to be killed in these horror flicks. We've been hearing this criticism. It's a hell, it's a running joke on those scary movie spoof movies. And so if that is true, then this would just be yet another example of that. But we're getting ahead of ourselves because that is all bullshit. Tyler, Nina, Rachel. Rachel is the daughter of Kevin fucking Bacon. And last I checked, he ain't no Pacific Islander, Malaysian, Indo-Chinese, or Chinese. No. So to me, she actually was killed more to, well, one, so that Brooke didn't have to be sacrificed, but two, because we want to see Noah suffer. And why do we want to see Noah suffer? It goes back to what Noah said in the pilot episode, which is you're made to care about these characters so that when they die, it hurts. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. Killer lures Riley outside pretending to be Tyler. We see Tyler's car in the parking lot. That Chevelle, I believe, black with two red racing stripes. The killer looks fucking awesome in the alleyway, dragging the knife across the metal fence. Riley is fucked up. That killer stabs Riley twice in the back and then slices the back of her thigh, which now, a lot of Asian people have very muscular legs, so she's got a big, muscular thigh. I think the killer may have clipped her femoral artery, which means she does not have long. But she is able to power her ass up the ladder and get on the roof. That was impressive. Could you have made it another four or five ladder lung pulls? In heels, no less. True. So two stabs to the spine and a slash to the thigh. And then, of course, she calls Noah with a FaceTime, because that's the technological world we live in now. 
And she says her dying words. He's asking her, he's like, give me useful intel. Where are you? Who do you see? I can see our stars. And I feel these wounds becoming scars because he cut deep. Okay, when I say he or she, just it's a gender neutral expression for Fogo's face. I should just say Fogo's face every time because I don't want to say something and then have somebody say later, well, now, wait a second. You applied misdirection. The killer. Hell, how do we even know it's a human killer? It could be a cyborg, part person, part machine. It could be an android. It could be a fucking alien. It could be Bigfoot. It could be a ghost in a Fogo's face mask. But she's dead. She's bleeding out on the roof of the police station. The police ultimately arrive at the scene because Emma's the one that notices something when she tries to call Riley and hears the ringing and then notices her dead corpse on the top of the police station roof. Bye-bye, Tyler's car. Boom. The police are in hot pursuit of the vehicle. They find the car crashed over a bridge near a very small creek. The car explodes in a big fireball plume, and HUD has to fall back because it is like a Michael Bay fucking explosion. And it's awesome. It was also a beautiful black beauty machine, and the muscle car will be missed. Love the explosion and the excitement on the bridge. That was a really cool set piece, and I liked how they shot it. Total tween body count, one. Riley will feel some stargazing elation. But at the police station, it's a brutal, bloody collection of wounds and evisceration. Now, technically, I don't know if she was eviscerated. She was stabbed in the back, probably hit her spine. To be eviscerated, you basically have your entrails removed. But it rhymes. Police station, evisceration, it works. Time for tunes for the post-op surgical mask-wearing loons. We got a song called Feel by Chloe. That's K-L-O-E. This is during the video chat. Brooke informs Mr. Branson that she has hidden a naughty picture of herself in his classroom. And that is what Branson is looking for when she chimes in. What are you looking for, Mr. B? We're all looking for something, Brooke. He's a smooth customer. Smooth criminal. Michael Jackson. And then Alien. Redone. Oh, you beat me. You didn't even give me a chance. I didn't know what the hell you were going to say. All we do. All we do. My oh wonder. Audrey leaves the wake and heads to Rachel's room. Emma finds Audrey testing the plausibility of Rachel's suicide. Love, oh wonder, love all we do. You are the best by Wet. Now, Red Devil and I had actually stumbled upon Wet about six months ago. Love Wet. On Pandora or Spotify or both, and they're great. This is when Noah shows Riley the gamer setup at the comic shop and she kisses him. No one knows by Natalie Taylor. Riley and Noah's makeout session is interrupted by a help me text from Tyler. Lastly, Forces featuring Erling by Japanese Wallpaper. That's a cool name for a band. Brooke gets tired of waiting for Mr. B to meet her at the hotel room, then finds a bunch of missed calls from Emma. Did you have any last minute asides about this episode? Wanna play a game? Wanna play a game? Uh, really, I think that we hit it all, honestly, so I can't just, I just can't wait till the next one. Noah's left with blue balls, and Riley's blood sprays the police station walls. Brooke may have survived the killer's pick, who dies game. But she is still a foxy dame, and to this slasher, fair fucking game. We witness both branch through the eye, and a maternal lie. Maggie's secret. No longer can she keep it. Lakewood slasher's wick's been lit. One throat slit, and a prior vic impaled by branch split. That was Halloween night, 1994. That brought us into a very telling dialogue between Piper and Noah. Pay attention to Piper, particularly when she's talking to Noah, because they are two peas in the same pod. They both like to talk about what's happening in the town. They're both very good at investigative research. And I think, much like when Lex Luthor is talking to Chloe Sullivan, there's a mutual intellectual respect there. Don't you think? Yeah, I think that's a good parallel. Dream a little scream for us, dreamy screamers. Or stream a little scream for us, streaming screamers. Scream the TV series is available currently on Netflix. Please check out season one and season two. 
Do not waste your time with season three, believe me. Can you spot the killer's brand? Cold knife clutched in their blood-red hand. The pilot proved a pulse-pounding blast. Episode 2 shouts from the stadium, alleyway, and balcony that the main cast can't, Fogo's face, outrun, outthink, or outlast. The Lakewood body count's grown to four. More dead bodies will soon be in the morgue, stored. For the slasher seeks more bloodstains on the scoreboard, and as always craves more gore. Until the killer finds a new fixation, Emma's friends will find salvation through a vile evisceration upon the ladder, then the roof of a sleepy, sparsely manned police station. If you listen intently and watch with focused peepers, you just might catch the next chapter coming. Fogo's face. In this fourth episode, bloodletting has slowed. Lord of the Lies. The slasher's lair, unoccupied. A trail of pig's blood dried, and our dear trio trapped inside. Your host, the Noah Foster Imposter, Falsetto Prophet, and co-host, Daisy, you'll meet me in Hellbell, Red Devil, out. out.